good to be with you this morning. Before we read scripture, I wanted to take this opportunity to give you an update on the Mid-South PCA Church Planning Network. For those of you who may not be aware of this, Covenant is a founding church of the Mid-South Church Planning Network, and Tim was very instrumental in making that happen. He served on the board, our executive committee, for its first few years. And we are, I am grateful, and we are grateful and thankful for that, all that you have done for us. We presently support four works around the Mid-South. That is Central Press here in Little Rock, and Jeff Rayford in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and Josh Kynes, who is in Lafayette, Louisiana. And we are supporting a work in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. The church planner by the name of Philip Seeley actually moved there last week. And so he is just getting on the ground and getting going with this new plant along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. We have our eyes set on additional locations around the Mid-South, the Memphis area, Baton Rouge, and particularly Monroe, Louisiana. We are working to, um, to find a pastor who will go and, and relocate to Monroe to plant. So I would ask that you pray for that. The network as a whole walks alongside presbyteries and churches and to serve as an assistant to church planning. We want to be a catalyst for church planning. We want to help presbyteries and churches plant churches and multiply across the Mid-South because we believe, we know that church plants are unbelievably effective at reaching people in, in our area, in our region who are not in church. And so that's why we believe so strongly in church planning that it, is the, it helps fulfill the Great Commission. So I want to thank you as a church for being a part of the network, for praying for us and supporting what we do. Our scripture passage this morning is from 1 John 4, verses 7 through 19. That's 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 19. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. Verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So we were planting Madison Heights. It's a church that I started in Madison, Mississippi. It's a suburb north of Jackson, and we had just transitioned into a performing arts center. We had been meeting in a gym for many, many years, a gym that required a lot of setup and takedown for many, many years. And we were so thankful to be in this brand new, nice performing arts center. And in the middle of the service, I noticed that my wife and my three-year-old daughter left. And a few minutes passed, and similar to this sanctuary, there was a middle aisle. And, but the way it was designed, it was a little unusual. The person who was speaking from the stage could see the door, and someone could come through the door and make their way really halfway through the auditorium before anybody else would be able to see or notice. And as I'm preaching, I notice the door open, And I notice a really cute, blonde, curly-haired, brown-eyed girl come walking through the door. She happened to be my daughter. And as a father, I knew the moment I saw her that she was lost and that she was scared and that she didn't know what to do. It was obvious. And... She was not familiar with the surroundings. We had only been meeting in the auditorium a couple of weeks. And when we locked eyes, there was only one thing that she wanted to do. And that was come to her father. And so she took off down the aisle as fast as her little chubby legs would carry her. And she came to the very bottom of the stage. And all I could see were little fingers doing this on the top of the stage. And so I did what any loving father would do who happened to be preaching a sermon at the same time. I reached down, I picked her up, I hugged her, I told her that it was going to be okay, I put her on my hip, and I kept preaching. Now, here's something important that you need to know about this. Guess what the title of my sermon was that morning? the love that the Father has for His children. And so as I was preaching and I was holding my daughter and I'm talking about the Father's love, I look out over the congregation and realize that there is not one single woman who's not crying in church. Makeup is running like you would not believe. And most of the men had their arms crossed and they're doing this. Do you know why? They thought I had staged it. They thought I had done this to communicate the Father's love. That was not the case at all. It was purely accidental. And and it was very hard to preach holding your daughter and then a few minutes later to watch your wife run in the back door doing this, looking for... Your ch- our child. The point is, 
in the whole episode. It was a reminder to me, even as I was preaching, about the Father's love. The true Father's love. You see, my daughter came in and she was lost and she was scared and she was afraid and she didn't know what to do. And doesn't that describe us? Doesn't that describe us? Lost, afraid, confused, sometimes not sure what to do. And God's Word comes to us, and it comes to us this morning, and it tells us that our Father is there for us. He loves us, and He cares for us, and He desires for His people, as even we read this morning, to be His treasured possession. So let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you that we can be in this place and we can come to your word and we can be reminded that we are your treasured possession. That you have pursued us in love despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite our brokenness. That you have adopted us into your family because of our older brother Jesus. That you have loved us for no other reason than grace. And we are yours. Father, we pray this morning that by your spirit, you would take this word, your word, and that you would implant it into our souls. Father, that you would change us. So that when we leave this place and we go into our community and we go into our homes and we go into the places where we work, that we would look just a little bit more like Jesus. And Father, by the power of your Spirit working in us as we leave this place and we interact with other people, that we would have the same love and that we would have the same grace and mercy towards them that you have shown to us. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all that you have done for us. Father, forgive the one who speaks for my sins are great. Set me aside as you speak this morning. So in your son's name and for his sake that we pray. Amen. There are three things that I want us to consider this morning regarding the Father's love. Three questions, if you will. If, you're, if you happen to be taking notes, it's three questions about the Father's love. First question. How deep is the Father's love for us? How deep is the Father's love for us? In this passage, we see that God desires for us to know and experience the perfect love that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you look at the passage, it mentions the Father, it mentions the Son, it mentions the Holy Spirit, and the whole passage is anchored in love. And so God wants us to get a glimpse, He wants us to understand of the love that exists in the Trinity the communion that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So 
Let's focus in particular in this long passage on three verses. Verses 9, 10, and 13. Let's start with verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, and you can underline this, that God sent his only Son into the world. So there you see the Father and you see the Son, so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because, underline this, he has given us of his spirit, the Holy Spirit. So in the passage you see the Father and you see the Son and you see the Holy Spirit and you get a glimpse that all three have a particular role. The Father has a role, the Son has a role, the Holy Spirit has a role. They are working in conjunction with each other. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Propitiation is a big word that means simply that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And as a result, the wrath of God against our sin, in other words, a holy and perfect God who hates sin, that wrath... And the punishment that we deserved as a result of our sin has been atoned for. He is the propitiation. That is what that term is getting at. And so in this passage, in particular in 9, 10, and 13, we see love times three. Love times three. The Father loves us so much that He looks to the Son in the throne room of heaven and He says, they have rebelled against Me. They are sinful. They are broken. They don't want anything to do with Me. They have corrupted all things. And as an end result, I want to do away with them forever. Right? Wrong. God the Father looks at the Son in the throne room of heaven and He said, even so, even so, I want you to become like them, to take on flesh and redeem them. And so we see in the Father, we don't have an angry judge that wants nothing to do with us. What we see is that Father who longs for his children, his treasured possession, to come into his presence. The Father wants us, his children, to experience the perfect love that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Come be a part of this. Come be a part of this. And so he sends his Son. That's how deep the Father's love is for us. But notice also the Son. The Son's love for us is so deep that He leaves the throne room of heaven. He takes on flesh and He enters into this fallen and broken world. Jesus had only known perfection. Jesus had only known true fellowship. Jesus had only known 
perfect peace and joy. And he comes into this shattered, broken, difficult, messed up world to redeem us. To obey the will of the Father. I love reading through the Gospels and seeing how often Jesus says, I have come to obey the will of my Father. He is a man who is on a mission. So we see how deep the Father's love is for us, that He doesn't leave us in our state of rebellion, but since His only Son, we also see how deep the love of the Son is because He willingly gives up the perfection of heaven and enters into this mess. And He comes to save us and redeem us and rescue us in obedience to His Father. How deep, is the, how deep is God's love for us? We see it exemplified in the Father. We see it exemplified in the Son. We also see it exemplified in the Holy Spirit in verse 13. The Spirit's love for us is so deep that He comes at the request of the Father and the Son and He works something special in our souls. You see, this is why it's so important that we believe in a God who is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit comes at the request of the Father and the Son and changes us. <coughs> Excuse me. The Holy Spirit comes and removes our guilty hearts. And He gives us a new life. And the Holy Spirit, who is one who brings us into the royal family, the Holy Spirit is the one that makes us sons and daughters of the King. So it is love times three. It is the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of the Holy Spirit, all working together on a mission to bring us into the new reality that is the kingdom of God. It's a pretty unbelievable thing that our God would do this for us. It shows the depth of our love, of His love. John chapter, excuse me, 1 John chapter 4 is telling us that our Trinitarian God is passionate about His people. He is passionate about us. You're going to go through difficult times as a Christian. The kingdom of God is here, partly. It will not come fully until Jesus comes again. Until Jesus, our King, returns in victory. And so we live in this fallen and broken world. We live surrounded by sin. We struggle with sin. It is difficult. Things are still not completely right. The, 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 the battle has been fought. The war is not over. And so when we go through those difficult times and we go through those trying times, when when we seem like when it seems like we are in a hole and we just can't get out of it we we need to come back to first john chapter 4 and we need to remember that our god father son and holy spirit our god is not marginally interested in us our our god is not hot or cold regarding us our god cannot give or take us if you will 
He's not rolling his eyes at us. When we go through the deep waters, when we go through the fire, when we go through the struggles and temptations of this life, we come back to 1 John chapter 4 and we remember that our God loves us deeply and He's passionate about us to the point that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit work together in order to redeem us from sin and death and misery. That's why God's Word is so important. It brings us to these truths over and over and over again. That is how deep His love is for us. Second question. What is our response to God's deep love? What is our response to God's deep love? How do we respond to this? Look at 1 John chapter 4, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then John also tells us in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. When we understand how deep the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit's love is for us, the, the only outcome is that we will love. When we understand how much we are loved, then we in turn will love. We will love the unlovely. We will love those who are difficult to love. We will love our neighbors. When the dynamic, overwhelming, inexhaustible, eternal, and unconditional love of God captures our hearts we will begin to act and sound more like our older brother, Jesus. My daughter, the one I mentioned earlier in the sermon, is now 11. I have a son that is 7. And my daughter is wonderful. And as a parent, we are very fortunate. She is a blessing to parent. She is easy to parent. My son needs work. And so we, I pulled my daughter aside the other day. She did something, and my son copied it. And I pulled her aside, and I said, Love, you need to understand that for the rest of the time that you live with us, your younger brother will be watching you, and he will be imitating you. And he will look to you, besides us, he will look to you for guidance. Now, I'm an older brother, and I told her, you need to think about this as you live your life in terms of a watching brother. And she understood. She knew where I was coming from. We have an older brother who is exemplified for us. Perfect love. And so if His love has transformed us, then the end result is we are going to seek to imitate Christ and His love. This means we will love the people who are in this room because we are a family. Because for those who are in this room, who are truly in Christ, we will dine together, we will banquet together for all eternity. 
We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have been transformed by Him. We seek to imitate Him. But it also means this. Jesus came to give His life for sinners. Jesus came to rescue the lost sheep. It also means if we have been transformed by the love, the deep, deep love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then we will also show love to those who are not in Christ. They may be hard to love. They may be difficult, but we will love them because we understand that God in His grace and His mercy loved us. We will love the people in our community no matter what color they are, no matter how much money they have, no matter how little money they have, no matter what their standing is in the community, we will seek to love them because we have been radically altered and changed by the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It makes that much of a difference. We should be known as people of love. So when I was starting Madison Heights, there was a man in my neighborhood who was doing some work for one of my neighbors. And I began to talk to him, and I asked him to help me with some things around my house, and we just developed a relationship. And he would come around from time to time, and we would talk, and he would work, and um, his name was Mark, and we, we got to know each other fairly well. A few years passed, and I just began to sense that for, for multiple reasons that Mark was probably not named Mark and that he was probably not Hispanic. And one day we were having a conversation and we were talking and I said, Mark, <clears throat> you're, you're not Hispanic, are you? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, I said, we know each other pretty well. I know your children, the names of your children. I know where you live. I know all the different things that you do um, for a living. I know your favorite foods. I, I think I know you pretty well. Tell me about yourself. And he said, well, I'm actually from Iraq. And my family we were oppressed by Saddam Hussein. And I am Muslim. And I received political refugee status in the United States many, many years ago. And I figured out, living in Jackson, Mississippi, very early on, that life for me would be easier if I pretended to be Hispanic rather than Muslim. I could see that. And, and I said, what is life like? This was very interesting to me. What is life like as someone who pretends to be Hispanic? And he said, well, a good portion of the time people can figure it out. But what I've observed is that there's a, there are various tiers of respect. And, and people who are of different races are sometimes treated worse depending on what race or religion they are. And so I can pass myself off as Hispanic and that's a whole lot better than being from the Middle East and being Muslim. 
And so I thought about myself immediately because I'm sinful. And I said, Mark, brother, I want to apologize to you. I hope that I have not treated you in any way that is disrespectful at all. And he said, oh, no, Pastor Brewer. No, no. He said, you're a Christian. And I know it. And I said, I said, Mark, and by the way, his real name is Ahmed. And I said, Mark, there, there are a lot of people in our culture and our society that say that they're Christian and they're not. Do you understand that? And he said, oh, yes, I understand that. He said, it's the same way in Iraq. He said, there are many people who pretend to be Muslim, but they are not really devoted to Muhammad. And he said, so I had not lived in the South very long before I realized that many, many, many people claim to be Christian, but they're not. But you know what, Pastor Hunter? I said, what, Mark? And he said, I can spot them from a mile away. And I said, really? And he said, yes, yes. He said, those that I know are really Christians. They are loving and they are kind and they are good to me and they've been good to my family and they want to help me and they say that they pray for me. Even though I'm a Muslim, I can tell. Yes, many of my customers say that they're Christian, but I know which ones are truly Christians. Well, that's when you gulp really big and you go, well, Mark, what do you think about me? He said, oh, no, Pastor Brewer, you and, you and Miss Vicky are Christians. Well, guess what? I was at General Assembly a couple of months later, and my wife gets a frantic knock on the door. And guess, guess who has begun having dreams about Jesus. Ahmed. He couldn't understand them. And he talked to my wife. And when I got back in town, he talked to me. And I introduced him to a pastor that I knew who had been a missionary in the Middle East in proximity to Iraq. And a few weeks later, he gave his life to the Lord. He became a Christian. And his wife became a Christian. And then all his children were baptized. And to this day, he is a faithful member of a wonderful church in Madison, Mississippi. And now he goes by Ahmed. And I had, I introduced him to barbecue. Because <laughs> once he was converted, he could eat barbecue. And do you, do you know what he said? If I had known it tasted like this, I would have converted a long time ago. <laughs> but here's the point of that story. That when the love of God has gotten a hold of us in the very deep recesses of our soul, we will magnify, we will imitate the love of Jesus and those who are in our family and those who work with us and our neighbors and our fellow church members. They will see that although this person is a sinner because, because we still live in a fallen world, they will see glimpses of Jesus in us. 
And that is, that is unbelievable. That is how the Father's love changes us. Third question. Do I deserve God's deep love? How deep is the Father's love? How, what is our response to God's love? And how does God's and do we deserve God's love? The third question. Look at 1 John 4, 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us so that, we might, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do we deserve the gift of God's love? The answer is unequivocally no, we don't. We do not deserve His love. Apart from Christ, we stand condemned. We are guilty. We should have no confidence. We should have every reason to be afraid. That's the truth. We were on the outside looking in regarding the perfect fellowship and the immeasurable love of our Trinitarian God. What John is saying in this passage is that regarding punishment and regarding judgment, we can have confidence because we know that our older brother stands before us in the throne room of heaven praying for us and serving as our propitiation. So in terms of judgment and punishment, God the Father sees the Son. And then He sees us. And thus, we should have no fear. We have no fear in terms of condemnation. We have no fear in terms of judgment. So do I deserve God's love? No, I don't deserve it, but it's been given to me and therefore I have no fear. I have no fear. I love reading the Gospels and I was reading through them not too long ago. And one of the things that is so great about Scripture is that you can read it a thousand times and each time you read it, you learn something new. You know, I've been to seminary, Tim's been to seminary, we work on sermons, we read the Bible, we read commentaries, and it's amazing how layered the Bible is in terms of the truth of God's Word, that you can always learn something new. So I'm working on something the other day. I have several commentaries out in front of me. My seven-year-old walks into the room, says, what are you doing? I tell him. He asks me to read the passage to him. I do. And in my mind, I'm thinking about all the things that the commentators have just said. And my son says something as a seven-year-old. And I go, hmm, I've never thought about that before. That's how amazing the Word of God is. And so the other day I'm thinking about Jesus as I'm reading through the Gospels and I realize that there is an unbelievable outside-inside dynamic that takes place in the Gospel. That we were on the inside. 
our mother and our father, Adam and Eve, they were the ultimate insiders in the garden, walking in the presence of the Lord, having Him speak to them directly. The ultimate insiders and what happened because of their sin, they were placed on the outside. They were placed outside of the garden. They were placed into the struggle. And then you have Jesus who's the ultimate insider. He's in the throne room of heaven. He is in fellowship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And as the ultimate insider, He comes and dwells in the brokenness and and fallenness of this world and lives among who? The ultimate outsiders. And so when Jesus approaches Jerusalem, when He ascends the hill, when He comes into the city, when He gets off the donkey, Here is the ultimate insider. Here is the only one that has the right to walk into the Holy of Holies. So that's the ultimate inside in terms of any location on the face of this earth. And there is Jesus, the the insider from the throne room of heaven who has come into Jerusalem and He is the only one that can just stroll in to the Holy of Holies. And what does Jesus do? Instead of taking charge of the temple and strolling into the Holy of Holies as the Son of God who is perfect and without sin, who has come through the throne room of heaven, what does He do? He goes to the town garbage dump. The ultimate insider goes outside. He goes outside the walls of Jerusalem. He goes into the town garbage dump and he's, he's, he's humiliated. And why does He do that? Why does the ultimate insider do that? So that all of us who are on the outside can now come inside. And it just came to me as I was reading Scripture the other day that He did all of that for me. The one on the inside went outside so that the one on the outside could come inside. That is what Jesus has done for us. And so what is our response to this? We exhibit love. Do we deserve this? No. It's a gift from the resurrected one. It's an unbelievable gift that has been given to us by a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit who loves us deeply. As we read in Deuteronomy earlier this morning, we are His treasured possession. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank You that we are Your treasured possession, that we belong to You, that we have been adopted into Your family, that You have placed Your love on us, that You have sent Your Son to rescue us, that You have given us Your Spirit to guide us and to help us. Father, how is any of this possible? But it is. Let us rejoice in the good news of the gospel 
May we not live in fear because we have been redeemed. Help us to worship you deeply because we understand the gift that you have given to us. Father, we thank you for all that you have done. We thank you for this overwhelmingly amazing good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. We thank you that your love is so deep. Amen.